Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 75. I am Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. 75? Isn't that some type of specific anniversary? Isn't there a name for that? Like a bicentennial or a... What is that called? <laughs> I don't bicentennial. know. Bicentennial. That would be 200, Matt. Well, this is the 200th episode of Lost... No. Whatever 75 <laughs> is. It's something, right? We're not going to have the, bex- uh, uh, the next big milestone until 100, which will be about six months Which will be a centennial. Now. That's a that's a centennial. Yes. Hey, you learn something new every day, everybody. Well, you do. <laughs> when you're as dumb as me, you learn a lot. <laughs> so, what are we talking uh, about today? We are going to talk about streamers and YouTubers, and a big announcement there. Although it's not completely finalized, then we're going to talk a little bit about prototyping, which we've been doing a little bit recently, and then also flocking. Is that the other thing? Flocking flockers collision and flocking and we'll talk about what that means but it's like a pushing stuff around basically so first off the big news announcement was bum, bum, bum. google who is also youtube because google bought youtube uh they intend to buy twitch for one billion dollars which seems was, like everybody sells for a billion dollars yeah a billion it's like i think at those numbers <laughs> like i don't know man who knows it's a billion i i, I I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? A billion a is like the new million dollars. <laughs> million, million dollars isn't cool, Jeff. <laughs> That's what I mean. A billion dollars. It's exactly. Like, everything is so inflated these days that... I have to oh, say, like, that number does seem low given that Twitch is as massive as it is and that they're fully monetized. You know, they've got... They've had ads for years and... A lot of the streamers that we know, they they have subscribers like by the tens of thousands at five bucks a month. That's money. That's a proven yep. business model that's working. And most, I mean, like Instagram didn't have that when it sold for a billion dollars. Did it monetize at all? I, I don't even know. I don't know if it did or not. So that's pretty uh, interesting because YouTubers and Twitch streamers, have we, as we've seen, can really affect the success of a game and especially indie games because indie game makers are the ones who don't have big marketing budgets and they don't advertise and stuff so it's kind of the closest thing we can get to getting exposed to the mainstream gaming audience and you know i think we've talked about on the show a couple different times about why it's good but you know one of the big reasons is good is because the streamers and uh youtubers kind of tend to have like a more devoted following right Um, and so when they play and or enjoy and recommend the game you know it's kind of like uh like your best friend recommending a game you know exactly hey you should really check this out i'm having a lot of fun with it you're gonna have a lot of fun with it too go buy it right now (laughs) I, i think it's so cool if that was a job back when i was a kid i don't know i i think that would have been what i wanted to do you know that just didn't exist (laughs) there was no one in the world who played games for a living outside of qa there there might have been you know like the wizard style professional gamers like (laughs) a handful on the planet or something but it wasn't this realistic i mean maybe it's not even realistic now but 
it wasn't like lots of people were doing it. It was this extreme edge case. And these days there's hundreds, thousands of people who are, I just play games for a living and I stream them or I make videos out of them or, or what have you. It's kind of funny, actually. You and I both worked for uh, an ex-professional gamer at one point in our history. Oh, we did. Yes. Thresh. Famous yeah, worked at Quake Raptor, gamer. Yes. which he founded. Yeah, Dennis Fong. He founded Raptor, and we were both employees of his for a couple of years, as we've talked about a lot. But yeah, he was totally a professional gamer. I, I believe the way he did that was he just... Uh, they had tournaments, and he went, and he won. And they had cash prizes, and... At one point, I know he won John Carmack's Ferrari, which is pretty amazing. I believe he actually sold it, probably to fund a business. <laughs> Maybe. But Although he's flipped a couple of businesses at this point, so I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's a serial entrepreneur. He um, is, in the tech world, his claim to fame was uh, selling X-Fire. I believe to, M- to MTV for like $140 million or something crazy. Very impressive. Interesting. But yeah, we were at uh, another one of his companies. But anyways, this new kind of professional gamer is is really interesting um because you know in that era it was more about corporate sponsorships right probably yeah and being really good right and that yeah, was hard really and good. not everybody could do that you know like I, I i can't play quake against dennis or starcraft you know i i wouldn't stand a chance but to the streamers and youtubers a lot of it is just being entertaining and being yeah. informational and like having your your bits like i make these five minute bite-sized videos that tell you about the game and basically when you watch the video you'll know if you want to buy it or not or it's actually not all that similar to, to thresh because that you know what thresh did kind of evolved into what's now known as esports right right and i mean that's still a huge thing and that's actually another area in which twitch you know is is big is is streaming starcraft competitions and that's true yeah. league of legends competitions and what have you yeah a lot of big streamers will be say a league of legends gamer and i know that there are professional league of legends gamers or like that's basically their job and i think i don't know if that's true for dota or dota 2 or not but well, it wouldn't surprise me at all oh there is and there's i mean there, there's kind of two categories of you know professional game players these days which is the interesting thing about youtube and twitch is that you know, on one hand, you have, like, the corporate-sponsored people. Like, there are people that are paid to play World of Warcraft. Like, right. they are PvP teams of people that compete in, for money and prizes, and they have sponsorships, like, probably Logitech, because they use Logitech mi- mice or whatever. Right. Um, and then you have people, like, that do it as an entertainment, and they make money primarily through ads, it seems like. Right. Or uh, donations and subscriptions. Right. But, yeah, it's, like, more of an entertainment industry versus a... It's like the difference between Hollywood and NFL, perhaps. Yeah, the, the comparisons are uh, are weird, but uh, they're kind of entertainers, you know, the broadcasters are. And it's it's more important that they be friendly and entertaining and good to their community than it is that they're really skilled at the games they're playing. Depending right. on the stream, of course. I know, I've seen some streamers, too, who their whole bit is they are breaking records. And that might be why you watch that streamer. Like, uh, I think it was Bananasaurus Rex was the person who got the uh some create or first person to do the eggplant run in spelunky i believe i didn't even know that that was a thing no until i, didn't I saw either. that video i exactly. had no idea there was even an eggplant in that game right no i didn't either <laughs> uh but that's another reason that people might choose uh to watch a stream is because that person is doing interesting things there was one gamer i saw who was just picking apart super metroid for just months at a time 
just getting the the speed running numbers smaller and smaller and figuring out more and more exploits and uh i mean if that's your thing i get it like that's cool i wish i could just you know <laughs> play and obsess over uh super metroid all day that sounds like fun so back to the google acquisition it's pretty interesting i think that uh it's a good move on google's part but i don't know if they're necessarily doing it for the right reasons you what know, do you mean i i mean they're probably doing it because they want to take a chunk out of a competitor essentially yeah they want to consolidate traffic you know google's all about traffic and twitch has traffic in spades and so massive traffic if uh if i was running youtube and I, and twitch was you know doing its thing I, I would find that um scary i guess so i i understand it from that perspective i there's a lot of drm issues i mean youtube is great for what it does but you know there's a lot of copyright issues with youtube right right and some of them are legitimate right like obviously people have a right to not have their work distributed on youtube for free without having some kind of royalties paid to them or whatever but it kind of runs the gamut you know like for every one of those legitimate cases there's probably an illegitimate case of you know i mean there's a big debacle recently um where you know people like terry kavanaugh were having his videos taken down because they included music from his own games (laughs) or something (laughs) Uh, because there was like i don't really remember how it worked but there was like kind of some some intermediary music publishing service that was like looking out for or doing business with some of the music creators and they kind of proactively went and started like issuing takedowns yeah and youtube has gotten to the point where like a lot of that stuff is automated i believe where content creators or content owners rather because they don't necessarily have to be the creator. They only have to be the person that owns the rights. Yeah. Can basically upload a signature of like music or video or what have you to YouTube and it'll kind of auto take down the things. Either that or there's some kind of tool. That's what the whole content ID thing is, right? Like this content has a specific signature, like this music, you know, most music, there's a way to derive a unique hash from it. Right. Probably. Yeah, I think Um, that, uh, what was that, um, Oh, crap. What's the name of that application where you can listen to music? You can have it listen to music oh, and tell you what song? Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't remember that. Uh, yeah, that one has like this massive database and it's simplified the, the song data down to like beat points and that kind of thing. And it can, it's really impressive uh, how it can pick songs just out of the air. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So I think that there's some legitimate concern over what's going to happen with regards to licensing because it seems like Twitch is a lot more lax about yeah. that kind of stuff. And yeah, like, you know, you could see people like EA, you know, like if you're streaming Madden or if you're streaming Call of Duty, like who knows, right? Like what their stance on that happens to be, but they have lots of money and lots of lawyers and, <laughs> <laughs> and that's frightening. <laughs> and that's frightening. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it'll be remain to be seen. I mean, it's not doom and gloom, you know, like whatever happens with this acquisition, like, uh, you know, it's kind of like Jurassic Park, right? Life finds a way. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, nothing will really change other than, you know, Twitch may or may not become the platform of choice in order to do this thing. Right. Um. So, we'll see what happens. I would really doubt that their plan is just to bite, shut it down or something like that. Um. I, I would be surprised if they even intended just to bring it all over to YouTube because that's already this massive, massive repository of videos just 
every single day so many are uploaded you know and and twitch being this specialized thing where yeah there's video archives but we're all about now you know we're streaming like these are the channels that are live now right and it being on a schedule based on time i think that that has enough value um i don't know i'm kind of hoping that google you know I, i don't know if the deal will actually go through like it should be pointed out that they intend to buy and twitch has agreed to be bought but um it could fail for a lot of reasons but if it does happen, um, I, I kind of think that Google probably will leave it alone. But that is a good point about the the, the digital digital rights management and stuff because I have seen that YouTube has uh, been kind of. And I mean, to be fair, a lot of it is not probably because Google's like, "Hey, we need to enforce copyright," but they're getting a lot of pressure from right. copyright owners, right? And they're Google is a huge target for litigation. I mean, oh yeah. I, not a week or month goes by that I don't read about some kind of like sanctions in the EU against Google for <laughs> something or another, you know? Yeah, they get sued left and right. Yeah, they do. Their lawyers are like, "Jesus, stop it." <laughs> I know I'm we're sure rich, Google. but come on. <laughs> right? Yeah, they have deep pockets, so they're a very attractive target. They're a big target. That's true. So, uh, you know, even if Google decides that, hey, you know, Twitch is going to be this autonomous thing and we're not going to change much, we're just going to invest in it and make it awesome, you know, there's still the real possibility that all of the kind of political and legal pressure that Google feels will then be translated to to Twitch. Yeah. Uh, We have seen Lethal Frag play a wizard's lizard, and uh, we saw the uh, incredible impact that had on our game. And uh, I've been kind of keeping an eye on him ever since because uh, I think it's pretty cool. He's, he's, you know, the streaming thing is awesome and he's a gamer that plays a lot of games that I like. He's a nice guy and his community is uh, what he likes to call dapper. They're all very nice and friendly and welcoming and polite. And uh, I really dig that. The internet (laughs) needs more (laughs) safe havens like that, right? Right. And uh, he's also a, he's a self-employed entrepreneur, which I can totally relate to. And uh, he takes this stuff seriously. So, he, like, he had things to say about it. I mean, there's not much yet, because like we were saying, it's, it's largely speculation. But um, it's still interesting to talk about. And uh, it goes to show that uh, we've seen Twitch rising recently. But, man, it's, it keeps getting bigger all the time. And uh, whether or not this deal happens, it's going to continue to grow by leaps and bounds. Totally. I mean, there are some non-zero percentage of internet traffic at the moment which i mean you know i think it's like one or two percent or maybe a little bit higher than that and which doesn't sound like a lot but when you're talking about the scale of the internet having two percent of anything is (laughs) is quite a a large number yeah and it gets a lot of a lot more bandwidth than some other sites might because it's you know hd sometimes and it's video and it's audio and it's things that take up a lot of bytes uh, I saw recently Netflix and Twitch uh, were the two biggest bandwidth um, sinks out of uh, North America. I uh, said so I don't doubt that at all. Oh yeah, I don't know if uh, if Netflix. I would imagine Netflix is probably far and away above Twitch, but that's only because um, Netflix has been in, in business quite a bit longer. Uh, that and Netflix is just more accessible. It is more uh, of like an everyday person type thing. Like everybody watches TV and movies. Everybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I say everybody, probably not everybody, but <laughs> this, the, you know, the Venn diagram of that, you know, if, if you have all people, then you have people that watch TV and movies and people that watch people play games on the internet. Right. You know, one of those categories is, is much smaller. Yes. 
<laughs> one of these things is smaller than the others. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah. the, the YouTubers and the streamers, uh, which if the deal happens, we could just call them all YouTubers, maybe. But uh, We should call them Google. Go no, you can't call them can't Googlers. Call them Googlers. <laughs> I think that's what you call Google employees. I think those are yeah. Googlers. But. Well, whatever. We'll call them streamers. <laughs> yeah. We'll we, call uh, them... Yeah, I don't know. We care a lot about them because uh, they seem to be a community that would like a game that we are making because like, it's replayable and it's got uh, like some emergent behavior and uh, it should be pretty entertaining to stream. And we want to reach out to them and we're very aware that they exist and uh, we hope that their ecosystem continues and thrives. Yes, so we'll, yes we do. We'll definitely keep uh, keep our fingers on the pulse of this one. And it's, I think it's especially important, and I've been thinking about it more recently because there's been some articles coming out recently on Gamma Sutra uh, about kind of just the whole crowding of Steam as a platform with regards to games. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are kind of making references to like the iOS app store. Yeah. Uh, and things like that about how as Steam lets more games in, it's harder to like have your game get visibility you know you would stay on the new releases page for you know maybe a day and even then they don't default to the new releases anymore they they default to top sellers and so it's somewhat turning into this kind of a scenario like in the app store where you know the discoverability is driven by profits which are sometimes driven by marketing spend right and you know one of the reasons that you and I have decided not to target the mobile world very heavily is be one of the like the very strong reason is because of that fact that like discoverability is hard on mobile. Right. And to get discoverability, you need to spend money. Um, and also another big reason for us specifically is that the kind of games we like to make and like to play aren't really generally mobile games. Generally. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's kind of scary to think about Steam becoming um, a system like that, you know, and, and I won't necessarily go as far as to say as that I think that they should stop letting people in because they let us in, and I think that's great. But I would not like it to become a place where it's hard to discover games by people who don't have a lot of money to spend. Right. That's the whole problem with mobile, is it became this machine where... People in the industry realized you can buy users via ads. And then when you've got a game that makes more money than it costs to buy the user, you will make a profit. So they realized, oh, hey, if I spend 100 bucks on ads, I'll make, you know, a buck 30, right? And then they're like, if, right. I, sp <laughs> if I spend a million dollars on ads, right? And they make more than that. And then it just, everyone competes for that and the ads get more expensive and people are willing to spend less on, on games and you know, those numbers have an imbalance and that's currently where we're at, where, uh, not true for everyone, but mobile in general, it's, it's, we're at that point where the cost to buy a user is about the same as what that user will actually bring in. And so the market's starting to kind of flatline. Right. Yeah. And, uh, please recognize that this, <laughs> we, we have not been concentrating on mobile. This is merely me kind of speculating <laughs> from the outside, please but I do, <laughs> please recognize usual... I'm really dumb and not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I tend to like 
talk off the cuff sometimes. I mean, a lot of it comes from, you know, either anecdotal evidence or, you know, things that we've cobbled together from various sources. So, you know, we're, right. we're certainly not experts on it, but we have we our ear to the to ground. Talk out of thin air, usually. We listen. We pay attention to the industry. Even the parts sort that of. don't necessarily, you know, matter to us at the moment, we will still keep our eyes on yeah. it. Like, like virtual reality. We're not going to do anything with virtual reality or, you know, Google Glass for maybe ever or maybe several years, but I'm, I'm still paying attention because I recognize that they have potential, that kind of thing. Right. Anywho. Um, so kind of along that route, the reason I bring up the whole Steam thing and the iOS comparisons is that, you know, one thing that people are saying is that it's becoming more important to not rely on Steam as just, hey, you're on Steam now, you're going to get lots of organic traffic, your game will stay on the top lists for days, weeks, whatever, right. and you as an indie with no effort on, I mean, you know, no effort, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, are just going to rake in the sales, right? Well, it's not enough um, just to show up anymore, right? Right, yeah. You need to kind of, like almost anything else we've done, <laughs> bring your own <laughs> audience to a certain extent. BYOA. Uh, right so that's like that's that's kickstarter that's green light that's steam now twitter and podcast um, twitter sure which is like our, <laughs> our primary outlets because we're poor <laughs> but uh the reason that streamers are important to us is because that's a one of the areas that you know we feel like we can make a change that affects our own business is yes. by you know uh, courting and reaching out to uh, these influencers and getting them to play our games online and uh, hopefully that in tandem with Steam and organic traffic will allow us to be successful. Yeah. We watched a video recently uh, by Northern Lion who is a, interestingly enough, uh, a pretty prominent YouTube streamer but during the course of his talk I found out that he is not as prominent as I thought he was. I mean, he's, he's obviously very prominent. Like, I'm sure anyone you mentioned Northern Line too that's into that community will know who he is. But in terms of actual, like, viewership, he is not in, like, the top 10 or 50, probably. He listed himself uh, in the video game entertainment category on YouTube. Uh, at the t This was recent. This was uh, GDC 2014. He was number 480. And that really puts things into perspective because that's kind of far down the totem pole, but he still commands a massive audience. He does, yeah. And, and I mean, that's actually very encouraging for people like us because it means that that audience is gigantic. It's huge. You know, if the top 500 YouTube slash Twitch streamers each command, you know, 200,000 or more viewers subscribers or whatever you know and then it kind of goes up to the point where you get to people like total biscuit or whatever who have like or like yogs cast where they have like millions yes um yeah that's a very it's a big playing field i mean that's a lot of people um it's not you know it, it, when you think about traditional press i mean there's probably like 10 you know <laughs> right yeah if you, if you were to think about like okay which traditional press outlets have a 200,000 person like subscriber. Like we're talking about people that, that go there daily or more often, you know? Right. 200,000 or more. How many of those journalistic game sites exist? Probably not 500. 
You just, you think about the power of someone's influence, right? And you might have, say, someone who writes for Kotaku and they have however many tens of millions of views per month or whatever, right? But you might have a, like a Twitch streamer or a YouTuber who has a fraction of that audience, but it's, uh, it's much stronger uh, with the audience, you know, like that, like we were talking about that person feels like a friend to the people who watch him or her play games all day, you know? And so right. the word of mouth from that person is is even stronger. And then the videos is more content too. Like it, when Lethal Frag streamed a Wizard's Lizard for six hours or whatever, that's a lot of exposure as opposed to one article that's just kind of a blip on the radar or like a two yeah. minute um, preview video or something. Totally. I am thoroughly convinced that our road to success is paved by YouTubers. Yes. So, and so um, we, we both actually, uh, we, were, we were talking earlier and uh, we took a break for food and stuff and we watched this video, which is called Using YouTube to Market Your Indie Game. And it's by Northern Lion, uh, like we mentioned. There's a link to uh, all this stuff in the show notes. So um, we both watched it, but we haven't talked about it yet. Oh, it's true. Let's we discuss pick it apart <laughs> so it was actually a remix he called it of a talk that i did already see which was at oh, i'm gonna forget again it was in vancouver it was in vancouver but what was it It was like indie something canada game expo <laughs> vancouver know, man. indie conference whatever it was <laughs> uh he gave that talk previously and then the gdc talk that's on the vault uh was same thing but more um so he was just kind of giving an introduction of say who he is and what he does and what's you know the industry that he's in is like who else is there what kind of games they like to play what kind of influence they can have how you can reach out to them um, how to communicate with them what kind of stuff they look for just covered it all in like and so concisely in like 20 30 minutes yeah it was a really really good talk with some really good takeaways i think that for me some of the things that hit me the hardest were one be concise in your email yes you know i think that uh my tendency when reaching out to people is to kind of like overwhelm them right (laughs) or at least that's like i I don't want to overwhelm them necessarily but i think that might be the the net effect yeah Uh, basically it's saying like you know provide a code and a build and then like three or four sentences about why your game is unique yeah i mean that's really it (laughs) and uh and then just send it off to them right cold call them essentially like basically get their email cold email them with a link to your game or a code to steam or code to humble or whatever it happens to be and just a little bit of text about why your game is unique and why they should want to play it um the only other thing that i I think that is important to note there is that you know a lot of these streamers are kind of niche you know like northern lion for example plays a lot of binding of isaac and he plays dark souls and games like that and so if you were going to pitch him on like game dev tycoon or something like he might not be interested fantasy fairy princess kittens <laughs> yes he's like i, I was trying I not to go that extreme that Is it, can you but murder he, he, the princess kittens <laughs> right. like, not really you yeah, can, can i them. increase their stats and you can braid their that. hair <laughs> <laughs> uh, that however um is probably a lot of work so you know i mean figuring out who is interested in the kind of game that you make is is relevant but you know i, I think that if it's even kind of semi targeted in the same niche you would be wise to just throw it out there and see what happens 
Luckily, uh, Pixel Prospector has provided a list of all these YouTubers and uh, and streamers, and also um, what they like to play and what kind of genres they're interested in and what they're not interested in. Oh, that's helpful. Link to that as well. So the impression that I get is that, uh, especially with the you know announcement of Google's intention to buy Twitch, I think that uh, the rest of the industry, if they're not onto it now, they will very soon be. And I think that this door is closing because we're at this point now where people like Northern Lion are relatively accessible. You know, like if we tried hard enough and we're persistent enough, I'm pretty sure we could get his attention. And if a wizard lizard is a game that he wants to spend some time with, then he will. I, I th- like we can get it on his bl- on his radar, like a blip on the radar, you know. And right. that's probably true for a lot of the you know hundreds of other uh, YouTubers and streamers that are in like comparable to his level of um, of audience. And uh, I think that door is closing. I think that's going to be less true pretty much every month that passes by from now until you know, <laughs> in a couple of years from now, some of these. Uh, streamers and broadcasters are they're going to be so massive that people like us aren't aren't going to be in the same position we are now where we try to get someone like you know kotaku's attention or whatever like ign GameSpot. they're they're largely like we have so many triple a games we're tripping over them what is this small thing you've made i don't care all right <laughs> i think that that's probably true but i think that it's a little different in the sense that like we just discussed like there's this gigantic pool of people that are doing this yeah and when you're talking about people that are individuals it's a lot easier for them to make and they should be making like judgment calls about games you know like as steam gets bigger steam just by necessity becomes this automated process because there's too much content right and so in in any automated system money is going to win probably yes money always wins. right money (laughs) always wins and uh with youtube and streamers you know there's always going to be a market for people that show off kind of quirky unknown indie games or less popular games i mean one of the things that northern lion was talking about in his talk was that like don't feel inferior yeah you know because yeah he's in a position to help make your game get sales but he needs viewership right he can't do it without you Right, and playing interesting unknown games is like, you know, a competitive advantage for him in a right. sense, right? Um, if he's playing a game that other people aren't playing, that's interesting. And if he's the only one or one of a few people playing it, you know, people might stumble onto his channel because they're interested in that game and then they might consume his other content or whatever. Right. Um, and so there's an incentive for these guys to kind of step away from the mainstream. Um, whereas you know, organizations like Kotaku, they don't have as strong, I mean, they do, right? Because it's like, oh, they want to cover this small game, but I think the incentives are a little different. Right. And there's got to be a percentage of, so right now, as of this recording, I guess, uh, Northern Line has 310,000 subscribers on YouTube. And there's a chunk of those subscribers, I guarantee you, who pay attention to him partially, at least to hear about new games, you know, as a, there's a discovery mechanism. Um, you know, based on the way he makes Binding of Isaac videos, number 812, (laughs) that's not, that's not everyone to be sure, but there's still gotta be people who are, uh, eager to hear about new stuff, you know? 
Uh, the other thing that I, I thought was interesting and something that I think that we knew already, but it's nice to see it kind of solidified and, and talked about as fact uh, is the network effect, you know, like right. he mentions, um, you know, that streamers kind of pay attention to each other and some of them are friends and they kind of cross pollinate games and stuff like that. And so, you know, he was saying that there was this one game called Paranautical Activity that was streamed by a friend of his named Green9090. Who then he picked up, which was then picked up by uh, Total Biscuit, which is huge, which was then picked up by major gaming journal sites like um, Kotaku and whatever. And so it did really well for the game. Right. And so uh, it's kind of like we had the same theory about journalists as well. Like it's good to get some coverage on the small sites because the bigger sites are paying attention to the smaller sites. Right. And I think that's even more true for YouTubers because it's more of a community. You know, like Kotaku isn't with, with IndieGamer necessarily. Right. There might be a journalist at Kotaku who sometimes reads Indie Game Reviewer, but in the world of YouTube, you know, like Green 9090 and Northern Lion might be like buddies, you know, like they exactly, stream yeah. together sometimes or they do, they talk or whatever, you know, like they, they have more of a vested interest. And so when someone like Green talks about a game or plays a game, Northern Lion is then probably way more likely to try out that game, perhaps. Right. And uh, they, Green has actually played a Wizard's Lizard. Yeah, he has. I was going to mention that, actually. And, and several several times. So, um, I would really like to land Northern Lion as a, as a streamer. And so, I think that once we get <laughs> through these updates to Wizard's Lizard, uh, we should really push hard on, on that. I, I just feel like a Wizard's Lizard has been this constant kind of push and pull. But uh, maybe we talked about this recently. Maybe it's just you and me. I don't know. But we were talking recently about how it's like we want everyone to look at it. Okay, look at what we well, look at what we made. <laughs> and it'll be like Kickstarter, right? Or like the launch in January, and then like soon after that, we're like, okay, look away, because I'm ashamed and I it needs a lot more work, and I know. <laughs> and <laughs> right. I think that we've we've been in that uh, rut since January. Like we launched it and we made kind of a small splash but at least for the last couple of months we've been like you know keeping the pressure off like we haven't been uh hitting up streamers or youtubers we've been participating in sales and stuff when they when they come up and whatnot but uh, we've been kind of just keeping our heads down and focusing on improving the game until we try to get a spotlight to shine on it again and you know i think that you can kind of look at that two ways you know one way is like you know, we should be trying harder to market our game try harder than we are right now because yes, it's available for sale and people can give us money for it, blah, blah, blah. Right. The other way to look at that, though, is that there's probably a finite amount of buzz that we can generate about this game. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we've kind of decided that we want to try and save that for when we've fixed some of the things that we know make the game less enjoyable to play you know i mean one of the big things we're doing with this next update is just making the game smoother in a lot of ways (laughs) more robust more robust more friendly to the user i mean a lot of things like volume options like things that you would almost expect a game to have and i know they don't you know a lot of people aren't going to necessarily buy a game just because it has volume sliders or not but it's kind of like we're taking the time to like refine the product. You know, we, we put it out there. Right. We got some pretty good reception. We made some decent sales. We saw some pretty great um, traction through these YouTubers like Lethal Frag and Cobalt Streak. And now we're basically kind of like taking that 
and feedback from our players and just kind of how we want to see the game and we're going to like shine it and polish it up a little bit right and then do another big push uh for the steam launch so you know i'm kind of hoping that that's a smart way to go <laughs> but <laughs> we will see how it ends up so total biscuit as of this recording has 1.6 million subscribers and i know now why a last time we were talking about streamers i got them mixed up is because total biscuit also goes by total halibut and cynical brit so come on that's confusing that's three names it is right. like, help me out <laughs> and he's got a real name as well <laughs> just well, like um northern lion mentioned his real name and i i forgot it immediately <laughs> But it's like four names for one person. It's a lot. Help me. Help. That's interesting, actually. I wonder what the reasoning behind that is, because you would think that in that world, there's a lot of brand value, you know? Like, yeah. I, I don't understand what the reasoning is behind having four different pseudonyms. Total Biscuit also has a dedicated StarCraft channel. And uh, we actually met with Yogscast um, during GDC, and they are kind of leaning towards being more of a broadcast network instead of, you know, here's our YouTube channel, which is Yogscast, Simon and Lewis. You know, now it's more like we want to be the Yogscast network. And here we've got Yogscast Duncan, and maybe there's a bunch of shows, right? Maybe there's a new show they try out every year or whatever right and that's really fascinating to see because um they're turning into a broadcast network that's amazing i guess that's probably like the reasoning behind the total biscuit thing is that he's gotten large enough that he's diversifying yeah exactly yeah um it would be interesting to see that though i bet someone knows if you know let us know in the forum or in the comments uh, it might have been like total halibut was his prior like prior name and then he was like you know I like biscuit better or you know total biscuit was available somewhere <laughs> Or whatever. I do like halibut. I like weird fish names. Sturgeon. <laughs> you just like How it? I Met Your Mother. I like that bit in How I Met Your Mother. I do. I don't really like the show that much, though. No, I don't really like that show either. <laughs> but it has some really great bits. Yeah. Uh, fish bit. Northern so, uh, halibut is, is really good. Really yeah, good that's a hilarious bit. I'll put a link if I can find it. If not, then who cares? Uh, as of this recording, Yogg's cast has almost 7 million, just Holy shy of crap. 7 million. That's, that's amazing. That's almost. And they came like their, their roots where they came from was they had a wow guild and then they started making Minecraft videos. And I mean, that <laughs> a lot has happened be <laughs> between there, but that's where they're at now. That's, yeah. that's some great like grassroots building, you know? If you think about it though, I mean those two games have some of the largest audiences of recent history. That's true. Minecraft has been interesting to see because like it's, it's kind of helped YouTube and streaming and, and uh, just gaming, you know, <laughs> as around the same time that uh, it itself was, was rising. It was like kind of a chicken or the egg with, with Minecraft being su successful and the videos becoming a thing, but they right. both kind of helped each other, I think. And WoW is just one of those games with so much content that it's very stream-friendly as well. You know, you can so make a video content. about <laughs> anything in WoW and someone will find it useful, probably. You just spend all day, yeah, playing WoW and making videos and stuff. Yeah, so if you get a chance to watch that video, there are some good takeaways, um, uh, takeaways there. I think that, really, for me, it kind of just solidified how we're going to reach out to these guys and 
how important it is going to be to reach out to them. It's our, it's our business moving forward. It's really like, it's like our only real business initiative. You know, in a lot of ways, we're like just such a, a crappy company because we're like, <laughs> we're going to make these games and we don't know how much it'll cost to make them. And we don't know how much it will make from making these games. And we don't know how we're going to make money from these games. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. You, you even mentioned this in that Northern Lion video. He said, you know, don't don't feel inferior, you know, and yeah. that's just I think it's just part of our personality. We like to put ourselves down because it's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we do make stupid mistakes. And- There's a difference between being like humorously self-deprecating and uh, like actually feeling inferior. That's true. Yeah, uh, you're like, "Hey, Northern Lion, here's our game. It's crap. It's terrible. <laughs> you're gonna hate it. In fact, I'm really embarrassed for writing this email. I'm not even gonna hit send. send. Right. <laughs> I'm <Whoops>. just, <laughs> just put it in my drafts and forget about it. <laughs> uh. I think, I don't yeah. know if I ever finished that thought with feeling inf- inferior, but like, you know, they need the, uh, us as much as we need them. And so don't be apologetic and, and be excited, like be an advocate for your game, I think was one of the big things that uh, was a big takeaway. And I think it's hard to do sometimes, you know, especially when you're people like us who are like, we are kind of not always humble, but in other ways we are very humble. You know, like I, 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 I am not the kind of person where I'm going to say like, oh my God, you have to check out a Wizards Lizard. It is the most amazing game you're ever going to play. Like it's so much right. fun. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a pet peeve of mine. Whenever I'll see someone like they're, they're pimping their own game and I don't know, they do it on Reddit or somewhere, but they'll be like, you know, check out my amazing game or my game is so fun and action packed. Check it out. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> self-deprecate some more. Come on. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to take you down a peg. Or three. Let other people say it if it's true. You have to have an independent <laughs> facilitator to decide if it's fun or amazing. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, I don't think that's a completely wrong worldview. But when we're reaching out to these YouTubers, you know, it's essentially a sales transaction. And it's we true. need to sell them on the game, right? And and if you're kind of lukewarm about your own game, like, how are they supposed to be? How are they supposed to feel? You know, they, they get lots of emails and, and, you know, it takes them, you know, I think he was saying like, he doesn't know if he's going to like your game until he's actually played it for 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. And if you're like, hey, try my game. It's okay-ish. It doesn't really bring anything new to the table. Like, is he going to waste 10 to 15 minutes? Or probably not. Yeah. He's probably got, you know, 20 options that single day. I could, like, I've only got so much time in this day and I got 20 emails with brand new games in them. So here we go. This one... <laughs> My game sucks. Okay, delete. Next one. <laughs> right. I got 19 more. <laughs> my game's amazing. You're like, well, you're kind of a jerk. Delete. <laughs> yeah, my game's okay. You might like it. Hey, there we go. Right in the middle. <laughs> my porridge is just right. Yes. Well, I, I guess my point was is that you should be on the annoying end of the spectrum. Like, when you're talking to these YouTubers, like, you should be. Like, my game is amazing, and here's why you'll love it. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. And, and if he disagrees with you, you're no worse off than if he didn't try it. You know, I guess even, even if he tried your game and he was like, this person is full of crap, this game is awful. <laughs> you know, you're really not in any worse of a scenario than if you had been really meek about it and he was like not even interested or, you know, he or she, I should say. That's true. Like the end result is the same. So what does it matter? You might as well like go for gold. You might as well be as annoying as possible. <laughs> if nothing else, you could be like, I think you're really going to like it because you like games that it's similar to 
Right. I guess, yeah. I mean, the the spectrum doesn't have to be like, you don't have to turn it up to 11. I mean, you can just be a solid advocate for your game and express excitement and passion for your project um, while not being a jackass. It's funny. I, I tend to be an extreme person, so that's why I've been joking about the two <laughs> two extreme ends. But <laughs> right. I think in general, I, I, that's what I shoot for anyway. I don't know if I accomplish that or not, but... I try to be an advocate for our games, but I try not to be annoying about it. I'm sure I, you know, <laughs> go too far in one direction or the other all the time, but I do try to shoot for the middle where I'm like, yes, check it out. You might like it. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I want you to play it. <laughs> uh, the other thing too is that um, it's not bad to contact these guys on more than one occasion. You know, he had this list of things and he's like, here are the reasons that I might not stream your game. And the first reason is I didn't get your email. And the second reason is, I don't know, I forget what it was, but you know, there's like three or four reasons. And then the last reason is he didn't like it. And he was saying that only one of those reasons means that I'm never going to stream it. Right. There's if he doesn't like chance. the game, yeah, there's always a chance. So even if like he misses the email or he didn't have time or he just didn't feel like playing it that day or, you know, there, there's any number of reasons why he wouldn't stream it immediately right. and so it's okay to follow up you know right within reason persistence is key and all that persistence is key and that kind of gives me like hearing someone who receives these emails say hey it's okay to like follow up within yeah. reason you know that, that's good that kind of makes me feel like okay i feel slightly legitimized and like if i don't hear back from him right away then it's okay to send a follow-up email in a week or ping him on twitter and say like hey guy I sent an email about this great game. <laughs> I'm just wondering if you had a chance to read it, you know? Yeah. Because part of me doesn't want to do that kind of stuff. You know, part right. of me is like, oh God, I, I would hate it if I got your email. It's like, yes, I got your email. I didn't have time to respond and I don't want to play your game. So stop bugging me. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like, you know, at least this is obviously like one use case, right? So, so other streamers might feel differently because they're all individuals, but right. it seems like in general, you know, it's not bad to just have some reasonable follow-ups. He seemed like a person who kind of understands that it comes with the territory. You know, right. he gets a lot of email, so I'm sure some stuff falls through the cracks. And when people resurface it, he doesn't seem like he gets annoyed. He kind of knows it, knows how it works. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you nailed it right. It just comes to the territory. It's like uh, game journalists, you know, they just, they get so much overwhelming email. And I'm sure people reach out to them multiple times that they're really not going to be upset with you if you reach out on a couple different occasions right, right. I, I know i've been annoying in the past because i've looked at some of our old like blogs and some of our old emails and stuff and uh i mean i don't know it's, it's part of learning right especially with marketing because I, I have never known what in the world i'm doing so i just try stuff and sometimes i'm obnoxious and sometimes i didn't try hard enough or whatever but that stuff's been really difficult because it's it's like the the farthest from what i'm comfortable doing you know right <laughs> On one end of the spectrum is you're going to be in a hole uh, by yourself writing code. And the other one, you're trying to get out into the world and be loud and get attention and, you know, bring attention to your games. And just, ugh. <laughs> very different worlds. It is. So let's talk about something that uh, is more comfortable for us. Actually making games. games. <laughs> Yay, making games. So we've uh, both been uh, prototyping some stuff recently. We have. And uh, it, it's kind of, you know, on one hand, we're like working really hard to make a Wizard's Lizard better. Um, but on the other hand, we're trying to spend some time thinking about what we're going to make next. And, you know, 
it's it's hard to know because we have a lot of things we want to make and one of the kind of prevailing themes is that we want to do a better job you know we want to always be improving definitely and so we're trying really really hard to take a look at you know what we've done with the wizard's lizard and, and see how we can improve on the process of making a game as a product right um and so to that end, you know, we've been doing some prototypes and, and things like that, trying to just give ourselves a better understanding of what we want to make, what we think it's fun to make, um, stuff like that. And so some interesting stuff has, has come out of that. Um, one thing is that we're really trying to make something that is going to be easy for us to make in, in terms of content. Yes, um, because one of the big pain points we've had historically is just, you know, art and like boss behavior and things that just are time consuming. And so one thing we want to do, and also we think makes a good game is to have a little bit more emergent behavior in the game. Right. Um, I also heard someone talking about that on one of those Gamma Sutra articles about how games with emergent behavior just kind of do better in general, um, for a lot of reasons. And one reason is that uh, also, the Northern Lion video kind of touched on was that a game that is different for different people, you know, or different on subsequent replays is going to be more interesting to the streaming community because, um, you know, one person's run might not, like be an, well, not, not, might not be like another's, and even the same streamer streaming the same game over and over again, uh, it's going to be more interesting for them and, the, and their audience. Right. So emergent behavior is a big thing that we've been thinking about. Um, ease of content is another thing we've been thinking about. And also just kind of like trying to hone in on a niche um, or a kind of like a specific sweet spot for the kind of games that we want to make. Right. And uh, that's, a, that's a hard question to ask. Uh, answer is, you know, what game are you going to make next? That's tough. Yeah, it's Because really it could be like the sky's the limit. It could be anything be robots in world war ii on the moon <laughs> i like the moon. And, and it's third person or it's 3d or it's the puzzle game like ah there's so many directions you could go i think one thing that we're really interested in doing is making a sequel to a wizard's lizard but i think that we've both kind of figured out that we don't want to do that next shouldn't be done next no we should shouldn't be done uh, next, yeah. we 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 should at least ship <laughs> a wizard's lizard and get it to a larger audience and learn more from it and and all that. I think too with the, the Steam launch, we're going to learn a lot about what Steam users expect and and that kind of a thing. Right. But yeah, I think we both kind of have a wizard's lizard fresh on the mind, and we would love to get back in there. And partially, we kind of want to prove to ourselves we can do a better job and not make so many mistakes and like demonstrate that we've learned what the problems are and how to improve them and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, it probably needs to bake. I mean, I remember uh, when Left 4 Dead came out, I played it a lot. And then Left 4 Dead 2 came out one year to the day after Left 4 Dead 1 came out. And a lot of people were really upset about that. Huh. And I don't like <clears throat> various complaints across the board, you know, some of them were like, you didn't, give this game enough love and like you're you know now i've got to go spend another 60 bucks and 
you know, the systems are going to be slightly different. And, uh, you know, people wanted to spend more time, I think, with the original Left 4 Dead. Like, they really loved it. And it kind of felt, I think, from to, to some people, like Valve wanted to make a new one and move on from that one fairly quickly because they had learned a lot and they wanted to go a direction that probably would have been harder with the original game. Hmm. So but having- it being within that one year, I think, uh, like, if it had been two years or something, like, you get to a point where your gaming audience is going to be like, hey, give me another sequel. You know, instead of, right. <laughs> what are you doing? Give me another sequel. Like, there's got to be a sweet sp- sweet spot in there. Like, and, and Valve <laughs> Valve has the two extremes, right? Like, Half-Life 3 is how long in the making now? <laughs> I don't even right? know if we know they're, they're working on it. Oh, <laughs> they will do it someday. They have to. But it'll be like, and and Blizzard, you know? Like, how, how long between StarCraft 1 and 2, you know? Like, 10 years or more. And Yeah, and, and the gamers of StarCraft, like, I mean might be a tough example because a lot of them are still play starcraft one and still love it but i think that a lot of people were also like guys come on <laughs> 10 or 12 years like give us a sequel over here but and whatever that even, sweet spot is it's not i think it's more than a year at least one year right yeah probably okay. at least a year it depends on the game you know yeah and in one sense you don't want to cannibalize your own sales probably yeah that's another part right because people might be like well Forget a Wizard Lizard one. I'm just going to buy the sequel because it's probably better. And there you go. Right. And we don't. I mean, <laughs> we want people to buy and enjoy our games, but hopefully, you buy them all. Got to collect them all, or something. <laughs> but then we could do like a you know we could do a, a promo where it's like Wizard Lizard one and two for some kind of. Oh money. man, that sounds like fun. Yes. A Wizard's bundle. So uh, we've kind of been playing with a lot of different prototypes. Um, one thing that I've been working on the past couple days is kind of like an onslaught-ish redux in just a prototypal sense. Um, basically, what I'm working on is a kind of single-room combat-focused game, and uh, but it's all melee. Uh, melee combat is something that you and I have wanted to explore for a while because we feel like it's a better baseline. Yeah. One of the things that we don't particularly care for that we've done in the past is just jump right to projectiles as your kind of primary method of attacking. And in certain games, that's that's great, but kind of feels like we're giving the player a little too much power right off the bat. I think uh, it's just easiest. Like like you need to have entities in your simulation, you need to be able to spawn them, right? And that's all that projectiles are is you're spawning entities. Like it already does all that. And with Onslaught Arena, we didn't do anything else. There wasn't any attack animation. There wasn't any, like, you you get stunned when you when you attack. Like, you can't move for a second, or there's, like, a delay in your motion. It was just, you're moving around like normal. And if you're attacking, then weapons are also spawning out of your face and traveling in a direction. It was so <laughs> easy, you know? You're and I think that's spears out of your mouth. <laughs> right. And that's one of the reasons I think we just did that by default in a Wizard's Lizard is because um, we already had experience doing it. And we knew because we had kind of failed at doing melee in uh, some incarnation of Lava Blade before it was a role-playing game. Uh, there was some really hard parts of it. There was getting the animation right, you know, like the swinging of the sword and the hitbox. And it would take a lot of time to get that feeling really good. And I think that projectiles can come from a place of laziness that's certainly not always true like if you're making a shoot 'em up or a bullet hell like <laughs> you know right. it just comes with the territory but um for our case with the wizard's lizard i don't think it was necessarily the best decision to make and we've been questioning that 
a lot. And uh, one thing we noticed is, you know, we, we drive a lot of our inspiration from the Legend of Zelda games, and um, those games are largely melee-based. So, like, the original Zelda, you start off with a sword. In Zelda 3, you've got, you know, a sword as, as well. And then the when you have full health and the right kind of a weapon and all that, you can shoot your weapon. But it's only at full health. It's very limiting. And it's kind of crappy. It's like it's not as strong as walking up and smacking something with your sword, you know? And the projectiles not- are intentionally limited. Right, yeah, and it's, like, not as often. I I feel like, you know, if you spam the attack button in Legend of Zelda 1 and 3, you'll fire a projectile, like, one out of every three swings or something. Yeah, like, if you're just spamming, like, just swinging your sword in Zelda 3, you'll get, like, one... Wow, 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 wow. (laughs) Like a little projectile dealie. (laughs) Uh, And furthermore, what it does is... So, imagine in your mind a top-down game. You control your avatar. It's nothing in the world. You're just this little square. And there's a red square, and that's a monster, or like a bad square. You don't want to touch it, right? In our games, you just kind of point at it and kill it, you know? You don't need to get near it. You click, you just click on it, and it's kind of dead. But in Zelda games, you need to get close. And that makes a lot of sense when you've got proximity. You have X and Y coordinates in a 2D plane. That's kind of all you have. You have position relative to other positions. And so you having to get closer to this hazard puts you in harm's way, and that's kind of the point of a confrontational action game. And right. uh, in our games, it's been a strategy. You can kind of hold out, like, you know, hold out in the corner, throw some axes, bounce them off some walls, and kind of keep yourself out of danger. And that's a harder thing to design. We were thinking that Melee, we might have an easier time once we got the, the controls feeling really good. It might be an easier thing to kind of navigate your avatar, like to create designs where you're, you're navigating your avatar in interesting ways. Yeah, and so to that end... Um, one of the things I've been focusing on is really trying to nail the feeling of swinging a melee weapon. Right. And I've added a couple of things like knockback and stuff like that, just to uh, really kind of make the simple act of running around and killing things much more enjoyable. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty, pretty happy with what I got so far. I haven't actually showed it to you yet um, with the knockback, but it's starting to feel like a lot of fun. Nice. You know, I have these little green boxes that are goblins and like <laughs> I run up to them and smack them and they like go flying backwards. And it's a that lot of like fun. fun. It's a lot of fun when uh, they're in large groups because the knockback effect is like uh, it's kind of like a normal based on their position relative to the sword's position. Right. And so you kind of get like the spread effect. You like go up to a group of goblins and you smack them with your sword. Like they all go scattering in various directions. I see. So it's very satisfying. So you're saying you've got an enemy right in front of you and then like one kind of on your left flank a little bit next to the one in front of you and then one kind of on your right flank and you attack all three and the one in front of you gets knocked directly back and the other two kind of shoot off to left and right angles. Right, exactly. That sounds satisfying. It's it's really fun. <laughs> and so those uh, entities, those monsters or whatever, they also flock together, right? Uh, I don't have the flocking code in right now, but... Is that because you're bad at programming? Generally, yeah. <laughs> you were no. uh, you were working on it and you ran into a difficulty. It's actually not a difficulty with the flocking itself. It's a difficulty with quad trees. Um, ah. And not really quad trees themselves, but just kind of our usage of quad trees. Uh, just to kind of give you a, a very broad sense of how it works, the, the way that a quad tree works is it's like a spatial partitioning of objects in your world, you know. And it's a, a much... 
more efficient way to figure out if two bodies are colliding with each other because you don't have to test every single rectangle rectangle against every other rectangle. Right. Um, but the problem is, is that the way that I build the quad trees is that uh, every frame, the quad tree gets cleared. And as the entities are iterated through, they get added to the quad tree. And then I do all of the collision at the end. Uh, the problem is, though, is that for the purposes of flocking, I don't want to do it all at the end. I want to do it kind of before the physics portion is happening, before they're actually starting to move. Right. Um, and at that point, the quad tree is incomplete because it only has information about the entities that have been previously processed. Hmm. And so I need to figure out how I'm going to approach that. You know, one way is to not clear the quad tree and update each entity but that has pros and cons, right? Like one of the cons is that you need to then, you know, basically deprecate the entity's information within the quad tree. And you have to do that. You have to traverse it and find it and then collapse nodes that may be empty as a result of removing that entity from the quad tree. Right. Um, or, you know, doing the flocking as a post-processing step after the, the quad tree has been used. Uh, another thought I had was maintaining two quad trees and, basically using the intersection of them as uh, as kind of like a snapshot of the world, but that sounds inefficient as well. So That's complicated. I'm mulling it over and thinking about <laughs> what the best way forward is, so I haven't done the flocking quite yet. I wish I had uh, someone that I could have work on that for me so I don't have to work on it. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Yay, it'll just be done someday. It will. Yeah. I love that because there's a lot of things that I would work on kind of, uh, you know, if forced to, and collision is one of them. Like I would read articles and I'd, <laughs> I don't know how much I'd enjoy it. Maybe I could probably get into it, you know, but uh, just on the surface, I'm more like, yeah, you, you do that. <laughs> you you like, enjoy that. I love it. I don't know why. I'm so I'm glad. Kind of I'm sick thrilled. in my head or something. I know. That's great. <laughs> All your quad trees and your optimization and your collision metadata, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. I love it. Coming soon uh, to a Steam distribution near you, a Wizard's Ooh. Lizard. We are probably going to send out um, some beta testing this week. Yep. And I think we've solidified that we're going to run the beta test through Steam itself. And Ooh. so... Uh, I'm going not going to promise, but it's highly likely that this week we are going to reach out to uh, people that have signed up on the beta test with Steam beta keys, and uh, you can start testing the latest version of Wizard Lizard on Steam. Uh, other times. than that, we will be at HTML5 DevConf uh, this week. We're doing a roundtable discussion on Wednesday night, which is not open to the public, but we will be at the conference on Thursday. And I will be at the conference on Friday and you will be getting a tattoo. I might come by. So, maybe I'll get the tattoo at the conference. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> like, we should hey, do like a live like, cast while you're getting a tattoo. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> That'd be a really good distraction. I'd be all yeah. for that. You should blow off the conference and <laughs> come get a tattoo with me. We'll make a <laughs> tat cast. <laughs> tat cast. Uh, sounds like a plan. Stuff. Cool. Well, we are going to play you out with Turtle Dance by Joshua Morse. 
Ship that.
Shipcast.